0: Good evening and welcome to our continuing Bible study series, Show Us Your Glory. Uh, We have now come to part four in this seven part series. And if you are new, uh, just joining us, I always like to mention that uh, all of the previous studies are recorded and the audio as well as the outline notes are all available through our website, which is new-life-ministries.org, and I would encourage everyone to download the notes and have them in hand to follow along. I can't promise we'll follow them exactly, but we look up a lot of scriptures, and rather than be flipping around in your Bible, a lot of them will be right there in front of you, and certain Words or phrases I often highlight in bold for emphasis. So, we finished last time in part three with the glory of God in the Old Testament. We looked at how Israel lost the glory in the days of Eli. The ark was stolen, Ichabod was born, his name means literally the glory departed. And then it was many years later through King David that the Ark was finally brought back to Jerusalem and spiritually the glory of God was finally restored back to Israel. Uh, another whole study that we can't get into, but there in Second Samuel 6, when David brought the Ark into Jerusalem, he didn't have Moses' tabernacle. He put the ark in his own tent, a tent that he had set up there in Jerusalem, and it's referred to as the tabernacle of David. And if you study uh, in Acts chapter 15, it is quoted there that in the last days, God is going to rebuild not the tabernacle of Moses, but the tabernacle of David. And as far as we can understand, not much detail is given except for the fact David put the ark in a tent. And he had fellowship with Almighty God inside his tent. Very simple. A lot simpler than the tabernacle of Moses with all the uh, altars and basins and sacrifices and everything. David just wanted to have fellowship with God, and that's the tabernacle that God says he's going to rebuild in these last days. Just simply entering in to the Holy of Holies, where the Shekinah glory of God dwells. David, of course, is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is referred to as the son of David, not only because he was in the lineage of David, but David represented the spirit of Christ in many, many ways. And thus, it gives us a good springboard into part four, where we're now going to start looking at the glory of God in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. And part four, we're entitling glory in the face of Christ. And Moses' cry in the Old Testament, even though they saw the cloud and the glory over the tabernacle that he erected there in the wilderness, Moses' cry was, Lord, show me your glory. And our heart cry should be the same. Lord, Show us your glory. But I think you're going to see in tonight's lesson and the coming weeks, God has already answered that prayer. He has shown us his full glory, and we're going to find tonight in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, there were a number of prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. And it's interesting that some of those prophecies actually mention the glory of God that was coming with this coming Messiah. For instance, if you're following in the notes, we're on page 25 now of part 4, show us your glory, glory in the face of Christ. We want to turn to Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 6. You'll recognize this prophecy immediately. A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of The field. Of course, these prophetic words were quoted by John the Baptist when he first began his ministry in the River Jordan, baptizing people. His job was to prepare the way for the Lord, to be a precursor or a forerunner, preparing the way for the Messiah but I draw your attention especially to verse 5. Isaiah spoke these words about seven, 800 years before John the Baptist and, of course, Christ uh, appear on the scene. Here's what he said. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind all flesh together will see that glory. Interestingly, when it's quoted in Luke chapter 3, it says all mankind will see the salvation of the Lord. And I like that because I'm hopefully going to be able to show you in part 4 and part 5, you cannot separate the glory of God from salvation. You can't separate the glory of God from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of glory. And the exciting news that the prophet Isaiah announced 800 years ahead of time was, there is one coming. This one who is coming is going to reveal something. He's going to reveal the glory of God. And all mankind is going to see this glory. And what exciting good news this was. Even though they had a long wait for it to actually come to pass, this was good news to anyone who was interested in the things of the Lord. Because this isn't just a Jewish prophecy. Notice again, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. This is not just a cloud over the tabernacle for the Jewish people in the desert. This is going to be a revelation to all humanity. All mankind together will see the glory of the Lord. Now, those who studied Isaiah and the other prophets, I'm not sure what they were expecting. I'm not sure what they interpreted that to mean, that when this Messiah comes, we're going to see the glory of the Lord revealed. Because later on in Isaiah's same book, We come to chapter 53, another very well-known part of Isaiah's prophecy, and there, strangely enough, he prophesies that this, this same Messiah, when he comes, he'll have no majesty, he'll have no outward beauty, and he'll have no attractiveness. Seems like a contradiction. The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed, all mankind is going to see it, but actually when he comes, he's going to have no beauty, no majesty, nothing in his appearance whatsoever to attract us. Let's read the verses, Isaiah 53, from 1 to 6, who has believed our message and to whom Has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This verse is actually quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 when he is speaking about the gospel. This is the gospel message, Isaiah 53. Who has believed this message, this good news, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Here are the words. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Doesn't sound very glorious. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, his stripes, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, there seems to be some sort of a disconnect some sort of a contradiction here. First, Isaiah says, one is coming, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed through him. All mankind will see the glory of God. He says, but when he comes, he'll not, he'll not have any beauty, no majesty, actually nothing about his appearance whatsoever that will attract us. He will be despised, rejected, familiar with grief and suffering, and he'll be pierced, crushed, and wounded. However, that is the glory of God, as we shall see. There is no contradiction. This, of course, is referring to Jesus the Messiah. His sacrificial death his life, and his death would be a mighty revelation for all the earth to see, to to physically, tangibly see the glory of God demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. And although Isaiah said he would have no beauty, no majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Nevertheless, when we come to the Gospels, many were attracted to him. Crowds were following him. You had people leaving their fishing boats, dropping everything, leaving their business, forsaking all to follow this man. What did they see? What did Peter, James, John the other apostles see when they were willing to leave everything and join this total stranger who spoke just two words to them. Follow me. I've thought about that a lot, and I hope you have. Imagine a total stranger walks by and says two words to you. Follow me. In, In our culture today, no one would dare follow a stranger. It might be a kidnapper, a a terrorist, a serial murderer, who knows who this stranger is. But obviously when he spoke those two words, Peter, James, John, and some others were able to see something about this man. I think I can prove to you in the opening chapter of John's Gospel what it is that they saw. They saw, as Isaiah prophesied, the glory of God. And when they saw that glory, they dropped everything and ran after him. You know, the glory of God, we've seen even in the Old Testament... It's hard to define. The, the word literally in the Old Testament we saw means weight or heavy. It, we took it to represent the overwhelming weight of God's character, who he is, his love, his mercy, his power, his faithfulness, his wisdom, his creativity. Put all of those attributes together, and that's the weight Of God's glory that's what Isaiah said all mankind is going to see they're going to see a revelation of the very heart of God the character of God who is this great I am and how can we understand who he is well he's gonna do that through his son in Hebrews Chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, we have some really powerful scripture here. Very powerful. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. You can read the Old Testament. A variety of ways. God spoke through dreams, visions, prophecies. He raised up many different prophets, spoke in a variety of ways. But, verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Let me pause there for a minute. Yes, Jesus was the spokesman for his father, he spoke the word of God. But that's not what this verse is talking about. I think it's talking about something far greater. It's not just the words that Jesus spoke. Jesus is the word. And so his whole life is the message. God used to speak through prophets through words, through dreams, through visions, but now he's brought his Son into the world. That is the last day's message. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Get ready for verse 3. The Son of is the radiance of God's glory. Oh, hallelujah. I could start shouting and hollering in tongues right now. I feel the glory of God. If you want to see the glory of God, look no further than the sun. Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory. We don't have to go looking for a tent somewhere with a cloud over it. The glory is found in in the face of Jesus Christ. We saw in the Old Testament that glory is something visible. It's often associated with a radiance, heat, light, shining, something emanating, shining forth. Well, here it is. The sun is the very radiance of God's glory. The the radiation of glory emanating from the sun is going to reveal to all mankind the glory of the Lord. And this scripture also confirms what we've been basing our definition of glory on. It's really the expression of God's total being his character, his attributes. Listen to what it says. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The exact representation of his being. John uh, is going to have a lot to say about Glory, And on one occasion, his disciples, I think it was Thomas, who was saying, we want to see the Father. And Jesus' answer to him is right along the same lines as verse 3 here. What did he say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus was the exact representation of his Father. The Word became flesh. He was a human being, but the divine radiance of God's glory shone through the physical part of Christ's being, allowing us to see this is who the Father is. This is what the Father does. This is who my God is. Because the Son radiates the Father's glory, and He is the expression, the exact expression or representation of the Father's being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So, Isaiah's prophecy was indeed true. When the Messiah comes, all mankind is going to see the glory of God. The glory of the Lord will be revealed because he will radiate that glory. Every aspect of Christ's earthly life, his birth, his life, his ministry, even his death and resurrection are all accompanied with glory. Let's look at some scriptures. His birth, Luke 2, verses 9 to 14. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, these are the shepherds in the field, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There it is again. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on the earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Isaiah's prophecy has come true. The one he spoke of has now arrived. And what a What a fitting welcome for the Messiah. The glory of the Lord shines all around when the announcement comes. He's here. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Today, the Messiah has arrived. A little later on in Luke chapter 2, When baby Jesus was taken to be circumcised after eight days, we have the story here of Simeon. Simeon took him, the baby Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Note in all of these scriptures the inclusion now of the Gentiles. This is not just a Jewish Messiah now. He's Jewish, but it's not salvation just for the Jewish people All flesh will now see the glory. This is good news for all people. This is salvation for all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. Now, after... Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began his public ministry. He's moving around with his disciples. We come to Luke chapter 9 where we have the account of the mount of transfiguration. I want you to keep in mind Moses' prayer way back in Exodus 33:18. Lord Show me your glory. What was he told back then? Well, you can't see my face, because if you see my face now, you'll die. But think about that now in light of what is described in the Gospels. Luke 9, 27-35. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death, before they see the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is invisible. It's a spiritual kingdom. But he says, some folks here are going to see it. Verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying... The appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, here it comes, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. I find this fascinating in light of our whole study, and in particular, Moses' great desire expressed way back in Exodus 33 to see God's glory. God answered his prayer. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glory, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And... Peter, we're told in verse 32 here, Peter, James, and John, his companions, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. They saw his glory, and they saw Moses and Elijah. What a sight. And even after they see all of that, Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared. Remember, whenever we've seen a cloud, it's always associated with the glory of God. Pillar of cloud over the tabernacle, cloud filling the temple. A cloud appeared. The glory of the Lord is all around them and enveloped them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. They saw his glory. They saw his glory. And this experience impacted Peter so deeply, so powerfully, that in his second epistle, which was written shortly before his death, so He's coming to the end of his life, and he still has vivid memories of this experience. And he describes it in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. He says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is a very important truth that you find mentioned in the book of Acts. The first set of apostles were by necessity eyewitnesses. First-hand account they were able to give of the life, death, Burial, resurrection of Christ, and here in particular, eyewitnesses of his glory. That shuts down all the naysayers, all the doubters, all the agnostics and atheists that might come along later, because a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Peter says, we saw it. We're not following some cleverly invented story. This gospel isn't some story that man made up. We told you about the power, the glory, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ because we were first-hand eyewitnesses. We saw it, we tasted it, we experienced it first-hand. Let me read this again. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What's he talking about? Verse 17, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain, referring to the Mount of Transfiguration, where years before they saw his glory. Peter says, basically, we were eyewitnesses of the glory of God. We were enveloped in the majestic glory, and we heard the audible voice of the Father when he spoke to the Son. Now, one more passage, and this is probably as far as we'll get tonight, but I mentioned the Apostle John writes extensively in his gospel about glory. And we're going to look at a number of those scriptures in the next session, but he starts right off in John 1 verse 1 down through verse 14, describing what it is that attracted him to Jesus. Remember, Isaiah said he he wasn't beautiful. He didn't have any outward majesty to attract people to him. Why were Peter, James, John, and these other guys so attracted that they left everything to follow him, and ultimately they all lost their lives for it? Here's why. John 1, verse 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Down to verse 8. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, referring to John the Baptist. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. The true light. Verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, Let's pause for a minute. Verse 11 confirms what Isaiah spoke in chapter 53. He would be despised, rejected. Many of his own people would not recognize him or receive him. But, verse 12, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And here it comes, verse 14. The Word, this same Word that created the universe, this same Word who was entering into the world, the true light, this Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We Have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 is a very powerful scripture, and it has a number of important components to it which we'll try to briefly break down as we finish this session tonight. Some of you may have already studied this. Bear with me if you already know it, but I think it's extremely important. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, that makes sense. He became flesh and blood. He became a baby in Bethlehem and... He lived among us as a human being. That's all true, but John is saying something more than that. Made his dwelling among us is actually a play on words. John chooses a Greek word which literally comes from the same word for tabernacle. The word that would be used, for instance, Referring to the tabernacle of Moses. And this word literally means to tent or to encamp, to reside as in a tent or in a tabernacle. Okay? What's the big deal? What's that mean? John received a revelation, as he was moving around with Christ, spent those three and a half years with him, he he writes to us here, he saw something, he saw the glory of God, and he realized the tabernacle of Moses in the Old Testament is where God chose to reveal his glory. The cloud was over it, The cloud filled it, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle of Moses. John receives this unbelievable revelation that Jesus is now the tabernacle of God among us. And just as the glory of God filled Moses' tabernacle, so the glory of the Father now dwells in this earthly tent, this earthly tabernacle, Jesus' body. Verse 14 is referring to his incarnation. That's a big fancy word. It just means the word becoming flesh, becoming carne, incarnation. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. This is so clear in the original Greek that the Amplified Bible translates it better than any of the other versions. Let me read it for you. Again, verse 14 from the Amplified. And the Word, Christ, became flesh, human, incarnate, and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived for a while among us. What an amazing revelation. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we saw glory in and on that tabernacle. It clearly connects the glory of God in Christ and the glory of God in Moses' tabernacle, Moses' tent of meeting. Let me remind you verses we've read in the past, Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, this is Moses' tabernacle, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So, in one sentence, John says the word became flesh, he tabernacled among us, and we saw glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. There's a connection again between God's character and his glory. Two very important attributes of God are mentioned here, grace and truth. And Jesus was full of both of them. Sometimes we like to pick and choose between grace and truth. No, we need both. We need to stand for the truth, boldly preach the truth, and we need to live by grace, be full of grace, and preach grace. Some grace preachers, they sacrifice the truth to try to present a message, well, God loves everybody, God forgives everybody, he doesn't care, you can do whatever you like and God's still going to love you. Wrong, wrong, wrong. God is a God of truth, and those who know the truth will be set free. Other preachers are truth preachers. Boy, they're hard-line. This is the truth, like it or leave it, if you don't obey it and follow it, you're all going to go to hell. Yeah, but what happened to grace? We need grace to believe and obey the truth. So the glory of God is the fullness of both. Grace, not at the expense of truth, but grace and truth. Truth, not at the expense of grace, but truth and grace. He was full of both. Now, we mentioned way back in the introduction to this entire Bible study, two key words. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament for glory is kabod, and in the New Testament, it's the Greek word doxa. We get the word doxology from that. More about that later on, but the Greek word doxa means dignity, honor, reputation. It's something very apparent. It's visible. It's something that people can see and recognize. This is the word that is used throughout the New Testament. It's the word that John uses in verse 14. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the doxa, the dignity, the honor. The reputation, the the radiance of his dignity, his honor, and his majesty. And again, this is something that John could say, we have seen, we have seen his glory. The, The Greek word there literally means to look closely at. This isn't just to pass by a building on the highway and say, oh, I saw that building. No, no. This means to study, to look very closely at. For three and a half years, John was looking closely at Christ. And every time he looked, he saw glory. We have seen glory in the Son of God. Now, next time, we're going to go through a number of scriptures in the Gospel of John where he keeps mentioning glory. It's mentioned many, many times. I think I counted 23 times. Uh, Actually, no. Doxa is found 19 times in the Gospel of John, and doxazo, which is just the verb to glorify, is found 23 times. So, 19 times plus 23 times, what's that? 42 times John mentions or refers to glory or glorified. So, It must have been a major, major part of his relationship with Christ, his revelation of the good news of the gospel. I'll mention just one, and this is as far as we'll get tonight. We already read chapter 1, verse 14. We saw his glory. We have seen his glory. The very next chapter... We have the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turns water into wine. And very specifically, John mentions two important points about that miracle. In John 2, verse 11, listen to these words. This, the first of his miraculous signs, the changing of water to wine, And by the way, this is an important distinction that John makes. This wasn't just a miracle, it was a sign, a miraculous sign, meaning it wasn't just a miracle to do a miracle, it was an expression of something. A sign is something for people to see, a stop sign, a speed limit sign, these are things you're supposed to see. So this was a miraculous sign for people to observe and to learn something. What was he demonstrating through this sign? This, the first of all his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples. Put their faith in Him. Oh my my. I like that. He thus revealed His glory. Every time God works, every time God moves, every time God heals a sick person, or casts out a demon, or creates something, or changes something, water to wine, He wants to reveal His glory through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see next time, over and over, this theme is mentioned in John's Gospel. The glory of God. The glory of God. We have seen His glory. The Father glorified the Son. The Son brings glory to the Father. And the good news is, God, through His Son, wants to bring that glory to your life and to mine. That's as far as we're going to get tonight, but recapping, we're now in the New Testament. The prophets, particularly Isaiah, spoke about one who was coming, who would reveal the glory of the Lord to all mankind. This was not outward beauty. It was not some kind of outward attractiveness. It was The weight of who God is, his grace, his truth, his love, his power, his faithfulness, his wisdom. It would be radiating through the face, through the life of his own son, Jesus Christ. The word becoming flesh, tabernacling among us so that we could all see his glory. And Moses, who prayed, Lord, show me your glory, God finally answered his prayer on that Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Jesus in his shining splendor. They also, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. And years later, Peter remembering the experience, he says we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, honor, and glory. We were enveloped in that cloud of majestic glory. Hallelujah. What great good news. Jesus has come. The one that Isaiah was waiting for, we need not wait for. He has come He has come to reveal the glory of God. And we need look no further than the person and the face of Jesus Christ if you and I want to get a glimpse of the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I praise you, I magnify you, I exalt you for such great good news. The good news... The gospel of glory in the face of Jesus Christ. God, you have now chosen that all glory should tabernacle, should dwell in your Son. And when he came into this world, glory came into the world. Peter, James, and John, and a host of others saw it, they left everything. They left their lives of sin, they dropped their nets, and they followed him, recognizing truly this is the Son of God. The Word of God become flesh. We will follow him. Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to your Son, Jesus Christ, to understand that in him and through him, All the fullness, all the weight of your glory has been revealed. The radiance of who you are is shining now through the sun. Oh God, draw us closer. Help us to follow him more closely. Help us to surrender to him, obey him, live for him, and give our all to him. We thank you and we praise you for your word tonight. Oh God, let this message encourage us, let it inspire us to seek after you, to follow you hard in these last days. I praise you and I thank you for each and everyone listening tonight. Open the eyes of our understanding and let us see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.